So we're going to transition from Kazakhstan to um, Western Europe now in France. And Gary de Graff has been there in France for 15, 16 years. 16 years, wow. Time flies. And um, so we're gonna, how we're going to do this is Gary's going to give you kind of an introduction to his ministry there. And then we're going to have a little interactive conversation up here. So you have to kind of change your hat now from thinking about horse burgers to French fries, French onion soup, French silk pie, French toast. We're all much more big. Yeah, yeah. See, that's, that's more the diet we're accustomed to there, Tamor. So anyway, Gary, why don't you come on up and introduce us to your ministry in France, and then we will have a conversation. Get a water. That'd be great. Hello. So stinky cheese, too. So that's kind of reality check. Sometimes you just get it served and you just have to eat it. But um, yeah, the rest of it's great. So I just want to speak because we got young people here with us today. Um, give you a little bit of history even back further than when I went over to France. Um, so I grew up, uh, my parents were both Christian and we went to church ever since. Ever since. And um, so when I was 12 years old, I gave my life to Jesus. I remember the day, I remember just praying, and I remember uh, that was uh, the time that I, I wanted a relationship with, with Jesus. I just knew God was there waiting for me, and I just, I just dived, dove right in. So from that point, I didn't think like, okay, I'm going to be a missionary now. But I got involved. I went to youth group. And uh, we had our, our Wednesday night classes, too. And I decided to go to a Christian college. And that way I could learn, prepare myself for life, um, but also uh, be around Christians. And so really these commitments and this kind of following that path, I think what was, what, when I look back, what means the most to me is that I saw God working in my heart, in my life, ever since I was, you know, way back then. All the way through my decisions to follow him, to get involved in my youth group, to go to a Christian college, and uh, to, to uh, be a leader in the church even after, Christ, after the Christian college. Um, I became a teacher, so I taught kids in like the Iwana type program. Um, and eventually I met this guy named Todd Stiles, and he uh, he had the, he had the youth program going over at uh, next door in Grace, and uh, I wanted to join him because it was just amazing that kids wanted to know about Christ, and and so I was like in, I want to be a part of that. If anyone wants to to know about Christ, um, I'm there. And it wasn't much later um, because I was still in a, a single adult at that time. That didn't stop me. Um, that I, I was in a class, and in the class, uh, it was a class on leadership, Christian leadership, and it just happened to be the question popped up, who wants to go, who, who's feeling the call to ministry? And after that class, I'm like, yeah, I don't know what this means. I don't know what is going to come of it, if I'm going to be a pastor, or if I'm just going to be, like, deeper into it. Um, but I, I, I knew that ministry was a really important part of my life. And so um, I got even more involved, and I said, I want to know what missions is. 
and Todd said he was taking a trip to a country called France. And uh, I mean, I'd heard of France, but um, <laughs> I didn't really know what missions trips I'd taken two. I took one in high school. That's a good age to take. So if there's a high school group going somewhere, it was a local, it was in the U.S. And I'd gone to one uh, in the Philippines. I mean, that was a trip, but it was only a 10-day trip. And so I came back just like saying, what is missions all about? I want to go longer than that. And so um, Todd, was, his trip was only a 10-day trip. He was leading a short trip. Um, it turned into a longer than 10 days, but that's another story. Um, and I said, I want to go for a month. I got all this uh, work, vacation time built up, so I'm going to go for a month and just see what God does and see what he can teach me about missions. And I did. I learned quite a bit about just the day-to-day ministry. And so, you know, young people here today, just keep going with God. Just say, God, show me something new. Or I want to get involved in youth group because it's it's really cool. I learn a lot, and I want to pass something on to other people. Or decide to go to a Christian college. If you're in Christian school already, that's great. Just keep it up. Um, After um, my call to ministry, I did a year in seminary, and... So I was ready for anything in Iowa, and there just wasn't the uh, opportunities. But after that, even after that one month in France, um, I'm like, you know, that was great. Now I understand missions a little bit more, but I'm just going to see what God has for me. Um, and it wasn't until a few months later that uh, um, back 14 years ago, 14 years prior to that point, I'd worked for a local bank in Des Moines. I'd worked for Principal Financial Group. You know, these were things I was interested in. I was a math major, so I loved banking and accounting and and, uh, retirement plans and no no hedge funds, but just the the good stuff, Um, you know, retirement plans and and all that. So it's not like I was... uh, I didn't understand business, and um, I'm just trying to find something to understand. But really, where do you want me, God? And uh, it was at the point I just kept getting emails from this missionary. And you guys might get emails from me, too. Just read them and read them again and pray through them. Um, And he was just asking for me to come over and help. He was just looking for for help for some of the... the, uh, um, the ministry aspects he had in mind, and I'm like, well, I'll come over. Um, <clears throat> I suppose I'd give you a year of my time. And um, it's dangerous when you just give a little um, because God's going to use what you give. And I, um, I said, well, God, you know, I have this house and all these details, but if you see me through these de- details... Um, yeah, I'll, I'll give you my, my year over there in France and my house sold within two weeks. So I guess I was going somewhere. And after a year, I really didn't understand the language. And I said, God, if, if I'm going to stay a second year, you need to get me to know the language. And so I had a personal tutor and I understood more. And, and then after two years, I'm like, okay, God, you got to give me money to stay longer because I'm not there um, you know, I, one year at a time I could handle in terms of the money I had. And the people gave me, I already had support from individuals and churches. Um, but I also need a visa because I just can't keep going in and out of the country. You know, they kind of catch on to those things. Um, and then I also need like a mission to work with, a church to work with. And I was just giving them the list. And 
within a month's time, God just said, there you go. And I had everything. And it just carried on from there. You know, a little bit is all God is asking. It isn't just, um, here I have a, a bunch of papers, just sign your life away right now. Whoever wants to come, like, here's your altar call, just sign away. Um, I don't think I'd have anyone come up. But little by little, you say, yes, I want to be faithful. And if, God, you want me to go somewhere else, that's what I'll do. So 18 years later, I'm still there, and I'm going to be sending out emails very, short, very shortly asking for help. Um, if you want to come over and help. It could be just for a short-term trip. You can talk to Josh, Aaron Crabb, um, Corbin, and um, Don Rasco. They came over. They helped. It was a very specific project. They did a great job. We were all really encouraged. People saw that there were Christians outside of France that were their brothers and sisters. And so it's a great work that we saw. Um, that's, uh, that's where I am up to today. And there's more I want to tell you about, but I'm going to turn it over back over to Chris, and we can just chit-chat. So. Why don't you uh, begin by just telling us a little bit about the different places that you've lived in France and some of the things you've seen in the 18 years you've been there. As, um, how has, has the French culture kind of transitioned, and how have you adjusted your ministry because of that? Wow, that's a, that's a load. Um, well, France um, is, well, it's a Western country, so it's very modern. Um, initially, it was, um, I mean, even back to the beginnings, it was just a country trying to find its identity because uh, there were people that, that, I mean, the Roman world conquered a lot of France, and France conquered up north and... They got reconquered back again, and I mean, this is even through the Second World War. They were still deciding borders, so it's, um, they've lived tough lives, um, lack of identity possibly, um, but in terms of religion, it really um, got, its, got its big kick. The Pope actually had its, its head, it wasn't always in Italy, the, um, the Pope lived in France at one time, that was the... That was the papacy was based out of. Um, and Catholic religion was really the religion. And as Protestantism, which you know started back in the 16th century with the Reformation, um, as that came in, Catholic uh, church and the heads really didn't know what to do with that. And so in France, there was something called the Hundred Years' War, and that really just crippled Protestantism, um, and then there was a the time of peace, but um, yeah, that ended um, with the Catholics just being against uh, the Protestants, and the Protestants had to hide, and France has a really, really interesting history. Uh, you know, the, the, the Christians, I'll just say um, Protestant Christians, lived in caves, lived underground, under houses of people that were believers, that that hid these Christians in their houses, um, but weren't known as Christians so that the, um, the police wouldn't look under in the fireplaces and so forth. So it was a really hard time in history. Um, others had fled. John Calvin is one that fled. He was French, but he fled to uh, Switzerland to escape the persecution. 
And um, this is a group of people called the Huguenots that actually stayed and said, uh, we're going to stay here, we're going to keep teaching, um, even though people are persecuting us. <clears throat> so it was a rough time, and I'm not sure we ever recovered. Um, Catholic is still the main religion. As much as Muslims come in, Catholics are still, there'd probably be 50% of the country that would call themselves Catholic or even use the word Christian, um, but there are so few practicing. And so that's something I'd love to change. I'd love to take people who say, well, I believe there's a God, and actually get them to the point where they know what that means. I want people that use the word Christ and say, I'm Christian, to say, well, if you're going to use that name, then we need to teach you how to follow Christ um, and get away from this religious aspect that you have. It's like belonging to a club. Um, but uh, even today, it's, it's, a, it's a tough call. So we're barely 1% evangelical Christian in that country. It's probably 2 to 3% general Christian. And about those that are in the Catholic Church, we don't know until I actually meet them. And, uh, and I figure that there's possibly 2% then that um, the other percent or two that are Christian that are just in the Catholic churches and uh, those that are truly believers. I would just love to meet those people. Um, but I'd also love to meet those who are actually saying, you know, I know there's a God, but I just don't know what to do, how to find this God. And I really, really pray, and if you'd pray that with me, that I'd meet these people. Um, I think that's going to be the next step. One of the things I, I think it's important for us to really grasp about Europe is that what we see in Europe today is is probably over the horizon for the United States. So there's a, I don't know what you hear there, but it seems like about a 50 to 70 year gap as far as where things are in Europe and where things are currently in the United States. So when you hear numbers like that, one to two percent, that's that's astounding. But realize that that kind of influence is coming here. And when you visit with folks who are ministering in Europe, they start from a, a very ground level as far as the gospel because there's not an understanding of who God is and who Jesus is and what the gospel is. Things that kind of are in our vernacular today that a lot of people know. So maybe talk a bit how you build those bridges to um, folks who maybe have some inkling of, of God, but they certainly have no more understanding than that. Um, I think it's just important to, to open a conversation. I think that's going to prevent um, what you were leading to is if we actually are proud of our faith and not ashamed of the gospel. Yeah, Timur? Um, and actually telling people that there is a difference between being part of a religion and actually believing and if you really do believe um, what that means. Um, the people that, that are around us, the people we do door-to-door um, -door visits, and that's probably the most eye-opening. We, we've tried, um, occasionally we do, we set up a table, we give out free coffee or tea, and we meet people walking down the street, they go shopping or so forth. We just stop and say, hey, would you, do you have a few seconds? Those are good conversations. Door to door, 
I just attack a neighborhood. I go uh, one door after the other. The reason that people don't tend to believe in God, and they're part of this uh, one-third of the country that's atheist, is because of their reasoning, and that's really all the reason that they, um, they believe the way they do or don't believe is because they, they see there's a, the suffering in the world, and in their minds, they can't reason through that, why they're suffering in the world. You know, if there's a baby or young, young um, child that dies, then God suddenly can't exist. And maybe you've talked with people that believe that same way. But the more we talk with these people, the more we show not just our beliefs like in um, a convincing way, well, I'm just going to try even harder to convince that person. Um, you know, John 13, we read a, a, a very important uh, verse, and it's one that I'm using in my ministry too. Um, By this they will know that you are my disciples. If what? If you convince them, if you really write down the best reasons, well, it's just love. If you really truly love people, then they will know there's something going on. And a few um, chapters later in John 17, um, Jesus prays for one thing um, for his disciples so that they may know that Jesus came from the Father, and that's unity. If they see us unified with, the, with that purpose of sharing the gospel, of loving, um, they're going to see something. It sounds very simple. Can we love the French people? Well, Kate and I have been doing that for 18 years. We got there separately. We both arrived in 2000, and uh, we didn't even know each other for the first seven years. And I just found her in an evangelistic campaign. She was doing the same thing I was doing, just trying to love on people. And um, I thought, well, that's the right one for me. She's already in France. She's already loving people, already willing to, do, uh, to work in the church and, and see lives change. And uh, it was fairly, fairly easy. Um, decision to make about who I want to share my life with. And so since, since then, that's all we're doing is just relationships and sharing with people. And from that point, um, sure, there's, there are other strategies that I can include about how we, um, what kind of brochures we have, or do we hand out, hand out brochures, or we do door to door, and some people don't like to do that. Um, or do we have like a uh, dessert evening, we do those too, and uh, they're, they're good, and I love those. And uh, it's just a way, um, we have a neighborhood party, I've written about that in my prayer letters, where we just bring a dish, each one bring a dish, and let's have a party. And I mean, that lasted past midnight. We started at 6 p.m., and it was on past midnight. They were still chatting, because it's a good time. It's a good way that we can just meet people, and show our love, and show them that we care. Um, and from that point, then we can get into conversations. We say, you know, I'm just, I just love God. Or um, if they ask me what I'm doing, go to church. I rarely say that. I have, I have church on Sunday. I can say that, but I'm like, uh, I lead, I lead uh, people in, in uh, this church in M, and we just sing, and so I play guitar, and I lead, I lead time of worship. Um, and then they ask what that is, because a lot of people know that I play guitar, but for all they know, I could be playing Beatles songs or some other uh, something else. But if I tell them that the reason I do things is around other Christians and believers, 
that's going to spark questions. That's going to make people think um, what's going on. I think that's, that's more than just saying, uh, you know, you should really come to this church. That's probably not going to have the effect that uh, um, unless they have nothing else to do and they're just desperate for attention, then they might show up in church. But uh, it's, it's more than that. It's the love and the unity they see in us, the purpose, the passion that we have, you know, the love of Christ that compels me to share with them. Um, I think then they'll, they'll really see. So you've got two populations in France. You've got the one that you've described for us, the Western European Catholic background, and then you have a growing immigrant Muslim population that is um, coming into France. And I know that Demographically, France is one of the first countries that is a Western country that could become majority Muslim within the next generation. So the number I saw was 2035, which seems like a long ways away, but just think back to like 2003, that, that doesn't seem that long ago then, does it? And, and so you're looking at a lot of immigration issues and um, the blending of cultures and so not only are you ministering to the Western European, but you're also ministering to the the Muslim populations that are there. And I know when we were with you in, in 2015, you actually had a woman who had been born again and was Muslim and had started attending your church and was dealing with some really severe consequences of that. Maybe share a little bit about that story and just how you're ministering to Muslims. Okay. The, the town where I'm working right now, where we have a church plant that started six years ago, it's in a town called M. It's written H-E-M, but it's pronounced like the letter M. Um, the town of M is 40% Muslim. The town next to it, which is called Roubaix, is known as the, the city um, that's the most Muslim in all of Europe. It's uh, 70% is the estimate. Um, just because when family's there and family's coming overseas, they're going to find where their family is already and keep going. So this area is heavily Muslim populated. They come from North Africa principally. Um, the refugees, we get some from Syria, for example, and they're just being kind of diffused to some of the larger cities in France or medium-sized cities. And so we'll get, uh, we'll get them moving into neighborhoods um, Lille is where they were coming with hopes that they can get to the UK, the United Kingdom. And then because Britain closed their borders, um, they, they were kept in France. And so they were um, shipped away from a big area where everyone was together. It was just causing problems. And they moved them into different uh, medium-sized cities all around France. So um, we don't have any right next to us outside of the North African population I'm a few into Turkey, um, but uh, so this population, they're there, and of course, M, they just built a huge mosque, um, and so we have a few Catholic churches, we have our Protestant church, and we have a big mosque in town. Um, now, the, the lady that you were talking about, um, she, was, she came into the church. She didn't even know our church. Um, she had gone to a different church from time to time. She was a believer back in the Kabyle area um, of, of Algeria. And so coming to France, she just wanted to find um, 
other Christians, other believers from her people group. And so she found it in a church. Um, however, she lived in M. As we went door to door, um, we went to meet some of the kids that were going to our kids club. And we never want to just proclaim the gospel to kids without really notifying the parents what we're doing. As soon as we do evangelism among children where the parents are not involved, that could lead to problems. So we have to be wise in the way we speak with children. And so we went, um, any of the children that come regularly, um, that we make sure we contact the parents. And so we went door to door, and um, there was this young boy that was really, really uh, kind of in our face, he, he would just wear the Muslim robe, and he'd come and say, well, I'm not going to listen to you. You talk about Jesus because I'm a Muslim, and so there. And, and, but he kept coming, and so we needed to talk to the parents, and we're like, oh, my goodness, what's this going to be? And so we're, we're knocking on the door, and a lady answers um, the door, and, hello, we're so-and-so, and we lead a kid's co- club, and your kid comes to this club, and we just wanted to meet the parents. And then she said, um, oh, you guys are Christian. We said, yeah. And so she said, oh, so am I. And I just poof, opened the door to just a good relationship with this lady, and she's probably our key evangelist in our church. She just talks to people left and right and says, uh, um, you need to get serious about your faith. If you're a believer, come on. You need to come and, uh, and be a part of this. So she has um, no hesitation to talk about people to share her faith. And it's just kind of, um, it, it helps motivate us too. And if I can see that God's changed someone's heart, and that's, and she's kind of outdoing us in terms of just sharing with neighbors and friends and anybody that she can meet, um, that just tends to motivate me even more to, to, to share um, God in my life and what he's done. And um, other, we've had a couple other young men that have come um, that are Algerian, typically. To get a Moroccan is, is tougher, but there's a, um, a percentage of the Algerian population who is churched. Moroccan, it was really tough. You have to do that behind the scenes, and um, there aren't any open churches in Morocco except the Catholic Church, and then they won't let you, um, they won't let the Moroccan people into those churches, or if they do go in, then there's some consequences. Um, they want to find out who's converting you so that you would dare go into a Catholic church. And there's the, all the culture of shame and so forth that uh, the family can evoke. And we've had um, quite a few. In fact, there's a lady, another lady that comes to our church. She's French, but she married this, uh, this guy who um, was Muslim, but he converted to the faith, to the Christian faith. But he doesn't come to our church because he has friends in town. And if he kept coming to the evangelical church, then his friends would probably just give him a talking to and say, well, what are you doing that for? So in a sense, he's hiding. And it's just really, uh, I mean, we talk about multiplication, but even with the 40% in our town, even if it just stays at 40%, there are so many people from his culture that are putting pressure on him to, hey, you know, are you a Algerian? Are you a Moroccan? What are you doing going to church? That's not where we belong. You know, let's go to the mosque. So he'll go to the mosque sometimes even, and even though he doesn't believe, but culturally that's what he's supposed to do. 
And this is an interesting dynamic that France has to deal with because unlike other European countries that are absorbing the Syrian um, immigrants who are Arabic speaking, a lot of the Muslims in France are from the former French colonies. So they speak French, they have some French culture, but they're still very Muslim, which creates this dynamic where they're not necessarily seen as foreigners, as a Syrian would who's speaking Arabic and has a, a culture that is Middle Eastern. So it's, it's, it's really kind of a difficult thing for France to deal with because of their colonial relationship with North Africa and the easy transport across. And um, so it's, it's, it's something to watch over the next several years as this continues to kind of evolve and it will change France. So the thing that the reason why um, the Muslims will grow, it's not necessarily those coming up from North Africa, even though that happens. Um, they don't have quite the, the level of intensity in their universities that they have in the French universities. So a lot of young people are coming to study at the universities in Lille, for example, right where we're at, um, Paris, etc. Um, and then they stay because they know that they could probably have a better chance of getting a job in France than they do back in their home country. And then they get married to other North Africans, other, others from the Muslim culture. Occasionally, um, they'll marry into the French, um, a French man or a French woman. And if it's a French woman, then it's the man is of the house. If it's a Muslim man marrying a French woman, the French woman takes on that religion. Um, and what's happening with the, the North African or Muslim population is they're having so many more kids per family than the French are. Any culture that wants to, to multiply has to have at least two um, children per, per family. And in France, that's just not happening. Some couples are glad to have no kids and just to carry on. Maybe there's one child, but rarely are there two or more. Whereas in Muslim families, uh, it's not rare to find six or eight children in the family. So that's the theme of our conference right there. Multiplication, have children, <laughs> all right? Have lots of children. If you Back only have in two, Genesis, I'm just saying. Yeah, if you only have two right now, come on. You need to step up. Six or eight per family. That's what we're, we're shooting for here. So that's an interesting dynamic that is, is at play in it there. Um, maybe explain some of the open doors you see um, in front of you as you are looking at returning and um, what's ahead for you in the next couple of years. Yeah, you know... It, an open door is, as I mentioned earlier, if, if talking with people, if they say I'm a believer, for me that's a wide open door. It's like, okay, let's, let's get you going. Let's, let's prove that you really do believe or you want to believe in God. And, and let me tell you about your purpose in life and, and uh, what purpose he has for you here on earth. It's not just to go to church every, once every week, a regular um, commitment, and just live your life consistently. I mean, in the Catholic Church, they're teaching you once you're baptized, you're good to go for life. Um, and we teach something else. We teach um, that there's a decision need to be made and then followed with baptism and then um, a, a conscious commitment to Christ and to following him to be a, a true disciple, not just, um, yeah, to, to have a, a ceremony completed. That doesn't make you a Christian. It's following Jesus. 
And so as people say, you know, I'm a believer, I, I believe in God, is to show God in my life to them. Show the God in the Bible and say, yeah, are you ready to follow that? And we can do that in a, in a short series, um, or we can, we can make a longer time. And so right now, where we're at is as our kids are grown, we might even start a, a home group in our house. Um, there is another building in the town next to us that we've asked to have uh, use of. It's sort of, well, it is a church building, so it's not necessarily a neutral building, but it's a, it's a way that, that any, any way we can meet people and have um, a group get together of those who are really committed and say, yes, I believe there's a God, or and I want to know Him better, um, that's one of the next steps. And uh, one of the ways we'd like to do that is um, with a VBS club, a VBS-type club, and something that, um, I don't know if I can start in the PowerPoint, that way I can kind of show a little bit. Um, so this is me, this is my wife, Kate, and two children. Lucy is turning eight in a month, and Anthony is five, five and a half. So uh, you'll meet them next summer. We hope to be involved and, and come through. So if you haven't met them yet, we'll hopefully get together and uh, you can meet the whole family. Um, next slide is, um, and this will be kind of the gray area. You can't really see colors, but you can definitely see those blue stick pins. The blue stick pins are the evangelical churches that exist today. And what you're looking at is the Leal region it, on, the, on the southeast side of Leal. So the, right, the, the lower group of stick pins is Leal, and up to the northeast, a few other towns. Um, let's uh, go to the next slide. And the red part is Belgium, so we're going to forget Belgium for the moment. God's not forgotten Belgium, but I'm just going to focus on France, if you'd let me. Um, so, so we're very close to the Belgian border, but so Lille and the northeast part of Lille are where those stick pins are, and the stick pins are a church. As you know, there's a huge gap between those stick pins and a lonely stick pin to the south, and there's a there's a guy named Bruno Ritza who goes to a church and the very, very south uh, blue pin there. It's about a half-hour drive where you just, it's just no church. And all that gray area um, is about 100,000 people where there's no church. And go to the next slide. So if those churches up there are growing, what's going to allow that desert area where there are no churches, what's going to allow that to grow? Let's go to the next Part. Next slide. Um, if you can tell, sort of, Leal is right in the center. Um, you really can't see the, the lines th um, that are separating all these towns, but you see the town names. And then over to the right, I'm just counting the ones that are up against the Belgian border in that little um, east and southeast area. You can see they're not huge towns. There are the top two ones, 10,000. And 13,600, those are towns that have no evangelical or Protestant church in those towns. Otherwise, it's one or two thousand, three, you'll see a five thousand. And let's go to the next slide. And anything that's to the west, and I was just focusing on that, on that gray area, anything that's that light blue or the dark blue, those are where the churches exist. And where it's the, uh, the other colors, the pink, 
kind of a lime green and then a little bit of a darker green. little darker green is the church in M. So there is a church there, but that's where I'm at right now. Um, that, as we moved east, um, that was a logical city to, to plant, large big town to plant in because it was 19,000. But all these others, that's the 100,000 where there, there are no um, Protestant churches. That's part of that. And those pink, it's three towns there. I live in the upper pink town, so that's 3,000. The middle pink town is 5,000, and the lower pink town is 2,000. So that's 10,000 people um, that I want to focus on where there are no, of course, no Protestant churches. But because I have relationships, I live there in the upper pink town called Weem. In the middle pink town, there is a church that exists there. It's a church building, um, and the church that goes to this building meets only once a month. Um, and it's only three couples that live in this town. And then there are other people that come in from outside, from Lille, pretty much, to manage the service. And it's really not, this church isn't spreading the gospel. The church isn't changing lives. Um, the church isn't, I don't believe, asking God to change lives or willing to join me. Um, as I was going door to door, that's how I met the people that went to this church. And so they were just like, okay, well, you go ahead and do what you're doing. You know, kind of God bless you. But they weren't really committed to, to helping this work. But um, I've asked them if I could use the building for different clubs and outreaches. And um, I'm actually still waiting to see how that might pan out and see if we can um, move forward on that. So my goal, my mission if you will, specific strategy is to, to get into these three towns and find as many people, asking them if they believe in God, and if they do, um, which should be 50% of the population according to some surveys. Um, it's just finding those that really, really, really do believe in God and really, really do want to make a difference. Um, and as I make these people um, start something, and I'll go to the last slide. Oops, the one just before that. There you go. This is my plan. It's for the 59780, and that's the postal code of all three of those pink towns. They have the same postcode. Um, so my plan for these is to work through private schools. My kids go to a, a Catholic school because we can talk about God in the Catholic school. It's the same curriculum as the state school, but I'd, I'd prefer to talk about God and have our kids talk about God um, freely and openly and not be... Um, shunned or ridiculed as they might as might happen in the state school so working through private schools we've gotten to know our director um, I mentioned here as I was here on a Sunday um, just what an open door that is that the director asks us if we'd come and share our faith in, in class and uh, um, for me that's a wide open door it's just um, if when God opens that door, I just can't help but walk right through and say, yeah, just keep showing me what to do here. And so both Kate and I are, are involved in teaching. Um, I'll play guitar and I'll, I'll sing my worship songs and get these kids to know who Christ is. And then actually inviting the parents too and the families to be to come to, a, to maybe an event, a VBS type event. And I mentioned um, working through these families' English classes, and you might think, is there really an interest, or what would, what would English have to do with anything? 
in those suburbs, um, there have been parents that have pulled their kids out of school and switched schools, even though they live in that town, because there's not enough English taught. I thought, wow, that's a big commitment. If you live in that town, and normally you would send your kids to that town only because there's not enough English taught is the reason that kids would pull their, um, the parents would pull their kids out of school and ship them five miles away to a school that has more English teaching. It might sound odd. Maybe some of you have done that. Maybe that's not so odd um, for a certain subject, certain um, um, class that you'd like to have um, your child take. But is, if that's an open door for us, I could offer my services to say, I'd be willing to teach English for anyone that will come, but I'm also going to do the second thing, and this would be um, in the Catholic schools, I would sort of advertise, or as I'm involved in the Catholic schools, um, offer my services for teaching English so that the parents realize that there's a service being offered and hopefully, and up till now, I believe it's true that if I offer Bible teaching, that doesn't shock too many of those that are sending their kids to that school because they're already hearing it. And so as I teach the Word and give the gospel, which they're probably not doing in the Catholic school, um, but if I have that open door, that's what I'm going to do. So teaching English, teaching Bible, and then small group community building. As I mentioned, VBS, we could be doing crafts. We could be doing um, just fun, like Awana-type games and so forth. If there's that opportunity, I'll do that. And, of course, you're all going to receive my email. It's going to be uh, in the prayer letter that's posted out there, specific information about how, um, what type of club and that I might need certain times during the year people that would be willing to come over and teach English or do a VBS craft and share what you do best and uh, God's willing to use, even for a short-term trip, um, as I've seen several times from, from First Family, uh, to be able to share in the 59-780. And um, something else I wrote in a prayer letter, the, after the 59 just means the region where we're at. In the 780, I've taken that to being verse, verse 7 of Psalm 80, which is similar to the Psalm 67 we heard a little earlier. Um, God, shine your face on us that we may be saved. And it's just, we're praying for God to save that pink area. We am Bézieux, confound Pével. Even if you can't pronounce it, you pronounce it just a weird way because that's what it looks like. Do whatever you like. God knows what you're talking about. La Boheme. That's my French right there. Well, thank you so much for sharing. And um, if you guys are not getting... Gary's newsletter. It is really, you need to sign up for it. He is faithful and sends one out every month. So um, make sure you get your email address to him and he will send that out to you and stay connected with what is going on there.